uh, I guess COVID is dancing around the Beam Radio team. Oh, uh, does somebody else get it now? Yeah, I think we have it in the house. Oh, geez. So we've managed to stay clear uh, for now, but you know, the way it seems, it's a matter of time. So, yeah, we have people like all four corners of the U.S. and everyone's. <laughs> That's wild, yeah. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to Beam Radio. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Beam Radio. I am joined this week by my fabulous panel of co-hosts. We have Lars Vickman. Hey, Lars. Hello. Hello and welcome. We've got Stephen Nunez. Hello. Hi, Stephen. And we've got Alex Kumos. Howdy, howdy. Welcome, Alex. And I am Sophie DiBenedetto. Great to have you all. Uh, I think that unfortunately we are sadly missing uh, one of our co-hosts, Bruce Tate, but in his absence, we will give a shout out and a thank you to our fabulous sponsor, Groxio. Uh, stay tuned for more updates from them next time. And in the meantime, I don't know, do you guys have anything you want to chat about or should we jump right into Stephen's main? I actually have something uh, and it's that I've just noticed that Lars has a very cool new lamp behind him and I'm kind of obsessed with him. It looks sort of like a huge blown glass, like upside down light bulb. It's very cool. Tell me about this. I want to know where you got it. It's basic hipster LED. I don't know. I don't know where you would buy them in the US, but here it's, well, the Swedish listeners will know Klaus Olsson, which is just... uh, I guess like Home Depot or whatever would have this type of stuff. It's it's the ones where you they make them look real old timey though they're though they're LED filaments. I think it looks uh, really arty. Uh, yeah, I'm it's, surprised it's you nice. get it at Home Depot. Yeah, uh, I do try to keep a nice backdrop rather than having something to blur out during Zoom calls. <laughs> That's the one advantage of having a dedicated office. Thanks for oh, noticing. Yeah, anytime. I'm always happy to pick up on weird backgrounds. And I guess stuff. the major thing going on at Groxio right now is that they're on a boat. That's right. right? Yeah. <laughs> they're also doing courses and training and all of that, but they're also yep, on a boat. They're doing the loop. So I think you can, yeah, you can check that out on Twitter. I guess. Yeah. I think they also have a website where they like dedicate to this trip. So maybe we'll put that in the show notes as well if you want to. That's awesome. All the Tates. That's awesome. That's right. Follow Tates. I think at Red Rapids Rapids on Twitter and get the latest updates. All right. With that, I think we'll jump into our main topic for today. Our host with the most for this episode is Stephen. So Stephen, what do you want to chat about? Me. Okay. So uh, for a long time, I remember either dreaming about doing Elixir or doing Elixir and not getting to use some of the cooler features that Elixir has to offer, like distribution or... um, maybe not getting to work with the web framework too much. Um, but I did really enjoy hearing about cool projects that are that were being worked on at the same time. Um, Electra's evolved some with LiveView introducing the opportunity for some really cool stuff with Nerves uh, introducing some uh, a new way of sort of working with Elixir and embedded systems. So I wanted to, today to be a showcase of some cool projects we know are going on in Elixir um and in the beam in general how's that sound sounds like great fun. let's do it love it love it okay so i'll start uh i have a couple of projects that i think are are just really cool so i don't know the, if the listeners know this but i moved out 
uh, to rural New Jersey, you know, to farm like you do as is normal. Um, and I'm really, really fascinated by, you know, growing your own food and sort of just getting the, into that whole world. So I was really excited to find out a, a project that was actually written about on the Elixir blog um, called FarmBot. So it's a nerves project uh, that essentially makes a makes your farming bed, so an elevated bed, like a CNC machine where you plant and care for different uh, vegetables on your on the bed. So you would specify the space, you would specify the sort of nutritional profile, and it would you would have Elixir care for your plants. This is amazing. Like having that level of of control and insight into a system is first off really cool and leads to potentially way more yields, but also that it's programmable and something really uh, nice like in Elixir and with Nerves, I think is really, really cool. Have you guys heard about this project before? Oh yeah, absolutely. So this was one of the big ones early on when I was getting into Nerves. Uh, this was definitely uh, sort of at the top of my list. And I was also getting deeply into gardening at the time. So I eyed one of these and was like, oh, uh, thankfully my wife is much wiser than me. And like one of the points of you wanting to grow things is to get away from the computer <laughs> for a bit and also do some manual labor, right. which is good for you. So maybe not replace myself with a robot <laughs> in that case. But it's a really neat project, like all the interchangeable bits for the really high-end models and like watering for you, detecting weeds and stabbing yes, them. Yes. It's it's a it's a wild project. And one of the Nerves core team, Connor Rigby, uh, used to work at Farmbot for uh, some time. So I think he built most of most of the Elixir end of that nerves end of that. And then there's there's some Arduino involved as well. Uh, just fairly common in embedded yeah. systems to have a few different things. Uh, but so yeah, that's a that's a super cool yeah, project. I love that project. Uh, and I I still haven't gotten over the idea entirely that I would want to buy one <laughs> at some point. I'm kind of curious. Um, what does uh, what does Farmbot use Arduinos for? Is it mostly for driving like motors and stuff like that? So is the Raspberry Pi and and Nerves kind of like the the central brain, and then it kind of delegates to other systems? So it's kind of the orchestration layer, if you will. I believe that's the case. So, so there are a ton of things going on with this uh, machine. I don't know that it wasn't exactly Arduino, but a microcontroller without Linux, I believe, are involved. So there are motors, there are pumps and uh, like actual water delivery. There's sort of exchanging bits and running the whole CNC rig. So then there are the web things where it's essentially like, oh, I want to plant there. I want to plant yeah. there. I want to plant there, add some seeds and it should put them all out there. So yeah, I think Nerves is doing most of the orchestration, but I bet some of, some of the like in-depth uh, stuff is just easier to do with ready-made ICs and, and stuff. I, I haven't dug into exactly what's what does what in it. But that's pretty cool. I seem to recall it being a mix from what I heard. Yeah, that, that's really cool. I think it's a good showcase for like what you could do with nerves, right? Like where you have 
some element of computer vision. So you could find these weeds and you could stab them. You've got motors pumping. So you have inputs, you got outputs. And I think like that, that really showcases that this isn't like a, a toy project. You can make really, really in-depth yeah. products that uh, are, I mean, really complicated. That's, that's not an easy undertaking. And uh, yeah. And I like the, the fact that you can also go up the stack as well, because there's also the interface for designing how you want your garden to look. So now you have a web interface and you have live feedback and you have interacting with a live system, which is really awesome. So it's, it's really interesting because nerves that you go, you know, clo really close to the metal, actually to the metal and interact even with like Arduino. And then it also lets you inter inter uh, interact with the, the, with wetware and people, right? So they can interact and actually like, uh, so build these like full stack systems, like really full stack. I love it. I was gonna make the same joke. That's the real full stack. That's it. The mind Wait, meld so what's is happening. The, what's the product offering that lets you design your garden? Is there like a UI or something? Did I miss that? Yeah, yeah. So uh, this is fairly common, I think for most, like for some gardening software to track where you grow and like what, what things grow well with each other, how much space things need, for instance. Uh, FarmBot comes with a, an interface that lets you design, you know, oh, you want to grow broccoli. Broccoli takes up this much space. This It will grow sort of like wide and crowd these things out. So you can grow it unless you grow something that like shade and so on. So it has some intelligence there. Um, again, just really awesome that we can do it basically fully with Elixir. Yeah, I think that's really I think powerful. it lets you design. I think it lets you design that growing surface and not your entire garden though. I, I haven't tried it. But I imagine it's it's for that, that sort of sense. surface stuff for that, that one that right. robot covers. Right, right. as opposed yeah. to so like some sort of it's not like where do you want your swings? Yeah. <laughs> Rose bushes. Where's your barbecue gonna go? That's right. Um, but yeah, I mean I think that level of I guess full stack is is really powerful and it kind of puts me in mind a little bit of like one of the things that we always say is so great about live view, which is that, you know, it's elixir all the way down and you get to keep your mind in the case of live view, like firmly on the server side. In this case, you get to build such a really powerful and comprehensive suite of tools always in Elixir. And I think that unlocks a lot of productivity, even from the point of view of like trying to hire for your growing company, right? You don't need one person that can do this with the bare metal and then this person that's like amazing at JavaScript. I mean, of course you're gonna need people that have various skill sets across the board, but you're looking for Elixir developers and Elixir developers can learn how to work with nerves on bare metal. Elixir developers can learn how to build, you know, a UI with Phoenix and a little bit of JavaScript. So um, it's kind of cool to hear you pick up Bowery Farms, Stephen, because I remember I first heard about them like maybe four or five years ago. And it kind of struck me as like, huh, nerves, this new thing, like company is using it, wonder if they will succeed. And it sounds like, no. you know, they're still around, they're still growing strong. I definitely would be curious to hear about other companies that are using nerves uh, to grow. I don't know if anybody well, has any well, others spoiled my Well, you spoiled my second oh. pick, which was, you know, again, I'm all about farming. This is just an excuse for me to talk about growing food. So well, <laughs> welcome listeners. Uh, the other company, the other project that I saw full-blown company it's been around for a few years now is bowery farming um so they do they do uh vertical farming all hydroponic so they're using you know 95 percent less water to grow the same amount of food no pesticides sort of all indoors and they are using um nerves to essentially move their trays around and to build their and electrical uh, create their interfaces for operators to or indoor farmers to 
interact with the trays as they grow and which ones need similar water. Um, they have an AI element as well. There's a really good talk, which I'll include in the show notes called AI farming 100 X the yield with a data team of one, which is kind of a cheeky uh, title. Um, so they do, uh, I think they do Python right now and uh, call out to Google OR uh, libraries for some stuff. Uh, very possible that they could move over to NX in the future, um, since a lot of the machine learning, learning stuff in Python is essentially shelling out to other things. Um, but I think that's another really cool project that is, you know, actually feeding a good amount of people. Like FarmBot is, you know, you have your yard and you sort of do it. But like production scale, if uh, if you get a chance, check out the uh, the links in the show notes. It's incredible what they can do at a warehouse. They have one here in, in New Jersey, and just this massive building. It's a warehouse where, as tall as you can stack them, they have they're growing kale, which is like so much kale, so much kale. Have you been to visit them? No, not yet. I think uh, I've seen some interviews Get recently. yourself invited. I know. Hey, if anyone knows someone at Bowery Farms, two things. I want to go see your farm and also come on the show and come talk about your farm. Yeah, for sure. So for I did reasons, read some of- no other For programming reasons, exactly. Yeah, because we want to talk more about Pulitzer. <laughs> so I did read, I think it was a case study by HashiCorp on- Bowery Farms because Bowery uses Nomad rather than your typical Kubernetes. And I thought that was interesting because Nomad has this uh, facility for running sort of binaries. You don't have to pack in a Docker container. And uh, in many ways, it seems like a more lightweight approach to sort of setting up a very distributed system and automating it. So I was, I've been curious about it. and looked at it some and they came up when I asked if people had tried it and they seem to use it at fairly fairly serious scale to manage things like all these nerves devices I don't know what parts feed into what exactly but they I know they use nerves I think they use elixir in general uh, aside from nerves and they do use Nomad, which I think seems seems interesting for Elixir if you don't feel like you really need to wrap your releases, which are already fairly self-contained in Docker containers. So uh, interesting, worth reading up on. They seem to be doing for, cool stuff. For sure, for sure. Um, well, I mean, that's enough about farming, right? Anybody else have any cool projects they want to call out? Well, before we move on, maybe just from nerves, although maybe people will have other nerves. Uh, projects to share. I kind of have a question for Alex since you know you wrote a book about working with nerves. I'm curious to hear your take on uh, do you feel like Elixir and nerves bring something to the embedded or the IoT conversation that was missing or do you feel like there's um, you know more development that we're going to see happening in these areas because of these technologies? Uh, I think it brings quite a bit. I mean, I played around with Arduinos and Raspberry Pis with uh, Python like years ago. And you know, maybe those ecosystems, ecosystems have evolved since then, uh, but it's, it has been a while in all honesty since I've played around with those. But the, the nerves experience on, uh, you know, on, on the Raspberry Pi was way, way, way better. Um, like, uh, you know, just getting your um, uh, development environment set up, you could SSH into it. You just push brand new images from you know, the CLI. Like it was a very, very streamlined experience. Like it, it felt like I was I was working on like a, a local host web app, but I was working on an embedded device. So I think like many things uh, in the Elixir community, 
developer experience was just top notch. Um, and so I, I think in, in that regard, it really ups the accessibility of, uh, of getting into uh, embedded devices. Unfortunately, with this global pandemic, getting sensors and hardware is a pain in the butt. So uh, we're, we're seeing that with the book. A lot of people are, are buying the book and are having a little bit of difficulty uh, sourcing parts. Um, but you know, aside from global pandemic and supply chain issues, um, no, I think it, I think it, I think it has a lot to offer. And I, like, I don't, I don't see nerves as like a, like a toy library or toy framework. I, I really think it's a production grade um, uh, framework that you can use to actually ship a real, a real product. I definitely agree with that. And recently I had uh, an actual guest blogger on the Underyord blog, which was Alex McLean. I believe he works at Very, which is an IoT consultancy doing mostly nerves. And um, he spoke to what you were saying earlier about sort of full stack and hiring to cover the entire uh, spread of the stack rather than and doing Elixir across pretty much all of it rather than needing a front-end specialist, a back-end specialist, an embedded specialist, uh, an infrastructure and tooling specialist, that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, I thought that, that was, I thought he put out a really good argument about sort of cross-cutting teams uh, using only Elixir. And I know his foundation is uh, currently in, in NERVs, so uh, could be worth giving a read if you're curious about doing that kind of thing with your business or, or your team, cutting out a few languages that you might not need. Uh, this seems to be a theme that we see, you know, time and time again, where if you need something specialized, yeah, maybe, maybe Elixir isn't for you, but the ceiling with Elixir is really, really high and you can go really, really far with, you know, just, you know, just Elixir, right? So you can, you can get a Raspberry Pi, you know, get some, uh, you know, get some sensors, maybe get some some motors, and you can drive them through I2C and stuff like that. And yeah, maybe at some point you'll need maybe a custom board printed, or maybe you need uh, something, uh, you know, more more real time. So you go with free toss. So, but uh, you can get really really far with with Elixir nerves and you know all the other Elixir libraries. It seems. Thanks for that, Sophie. Thanks everyone. Um, yeah, what other products have you, are you guys excited about? As a European, as the resident European. I would be remiss not to mention plausible analytics, which is this uh, EU-based privacy-first analytics platform that have been pushing ever forward uh, as an option to sort of Google Analytics for, for your website analytics. I don't use analytics personally, but if I did need them, I would lean towards this, especially for e any EU clients. So. Over in the EU, we had the GDPR come down and that placed a bunch of restrictions on what you can do with user data. Okay, decent start. Then uh, this privacy activist, I believe it's Max Schrems or Schrems, pushed it a little bit further and made the courts make some calls on, on certain violations uh, with the big cloud providers. And now, right, right now, I think most... EU companies that use any uh, global cloud provider is essentially uh, outside of the law, uh, which is um, something that will probably be addressed in a manner of different ways. 
<clears throat> but one of the easiest ways to address it is, of course, to use EU-based uh, providers and services, especially if you're dealing with uh, personally identifiable information. And Plausible is, is probably the only option for an analytics platform that I know of. They run on Elixir. They are a small, I think they're two or three people that started it and they're, they've been growing sort of organically and seem to be doing really well. Uh, it's also available for self-hosting. So the entire platform is open source and then they just sell it uh, because no one wants to manage it. So. Do you know any idea why they uh, chose Elixir? I mean, sometimes Elixir is the reason just because it's nice, why not? But do you, do you have any idea if there was any specific feature set or any sort of uh, set of I think the technical, I think the technical founder uh, was into Elixir before. So I don't know the origin story exactly. I bet they have written it because they do a lot of content marketing and write a lot of interesting stuff. So um, something, but something worth checking out. I think it's, it's, they're doing it the right way as far as I'm concerned when it comes to products and services and building companies. It, it seems like a good path to follow. And it's nice to see an Elixir-based uh, small SaaS reach profitability and just uh, march on there. And I, I like sort of Elixir and especially with live since LiveView came. So I think both Bowery and FarmBot and even Plausible potentially predates LiveView. I wouldn't be surprised if Plausible used LiveView for dashboards and stuff now, but I'm not sure it existed when they started. Yeah, I think you're right about that. So uh, there's a, uh, yeah, so it was great before then for building products, but with LiveView, like the time to market and trying to test if you, your product is viable and the whole product market fit thing, that's much easier if you don't have to involve sort of keeping a front end and a back end in lockstep and needing to actually define contracts and do double implementation of essentially everything. Um, yeah, I think if you're yeah. if you're not funded by a VC and you can't afford a full engineering team, front end, back end, DevOps, uh, you know, Elixir definitely gives you an escape hatch to you know bootstrapping your own business. And it's I, I so, mean, uh, so much Pareto principle is like. 80-20 rule all over the place. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and to speak to plausible. So actually, I have a confession to make. My blog is still running on Google Analytics. So I'm sorry, everybody. Uh, I need to switch has, that off has. soon. <laughs> but uh, I helped uh, some companies uh, start their apps. And they actually used the plausible analytics. So it was, it was a really nice product. And for, I think it's like five bucks a month, like you, you can't beat it. I mean, you don't have to bother hosting it yourself. You don't have to bother doing anything. It's a teeny tiny, you know, JS snippet. And, uh, you know, boom, you get all those sweet, sweet metrics without any uh, GDPR problems. So definitely a really, really awesome app. And every time I've gone to the app to see my metrics or the, or the, the company's metrics, you know, that uptime was always there. So I never noticed any issues. Yeah, and just to kind of pull out what you guys are saying about you know, time to, to market and being able to test that product market fit because you're able to prototype really quickly with LiveView. Um, that's something that really struck me at 
was it ElixirConf in October, there were a number of talks that more or less illustrated a lot of younger companies or smaller consultancies choosing to reach for LiveView because it enabled them to be so productive and get things out so quickly. Um, so it's just, it's just kind of a nice to hear from people who are actually using it in that way because I think we've talked about LiveView for a long time as something that does exactly that. But then if you even just look at sort of the roster of those talks from that ElixirConf, there are quite a few people that are really experiencing that. I think like uh, projects like Livebook really show you what's possible with uh, with LiveView because I mean, you know, as you pass by, maybe like oh, okay, I could do forms, I could do simple things, but if you've actually used Livebook, uh, like you can do some really complex things. You know, full stack Elixir. You don't need any React, Vue, Angular, et cetera, et cetera. So it's it's really impressive what you can get done uh, in just you know vanilla Livebook. Yeah, and I think one of the powerful things is that, like, oh, even in the Ruby days, or like Rails was famous for sort of getting you to market quickly, but it also has a little bit of a reputation that you usually produce a bit of a mess on the way there, and it's really hard to disentangle. And I promise you, it's perfectly possible to create a mess in Elixir if you really want to as well, uh, especially when you're going fast and just trying to ship, ship, ship. I mean, you can certainly mess things up, but de disentangling it after seems much more doable. And you don't run into sort of the performance characteristics that Ruby has, has historically had problems with, where essentially your prototype that you build in Elixir is probably something you can iterate on forever. Uh, you're unlikely to hit hard stops where it just doesn't work anymore. And I mean, yes, that's possible in, in other languages as well. Uh, lots of big companies build on Ruby and Python. But I feel like it's a lot easier in Elixir and you have fewer troubles along the way. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to think about it that like... The Alex, just something you alluded to something like this earlier, but like that the ceiling is higher in Elixir before you have to reach for things, right? I mean, I'm remembering in like Programming Phoenix, the Pragmatic Programmers book, um, they mentioned that, you know, entire consultancies are built on optimizing routes files and rails, for instance, right? But Phoenix's routing is done with pattern matching, which is wicked fast, right? And, you know, we have to be, have caching on the view layer. Like, well, you know, the beam is really good at caching um, kind of out of the box. So there's a lot of stuff that you get for free without sort of having to think about, well, how do I sort of you do fragment caching, Russian doll caching? Am I going to, you know, deal with improper cache? Like, no, let the beam handle it. It just sort of happens, um, which is great. Go team beam. Yeah, I think Sasha Yurik's uh, table where he's got like, uh, you know, your old style stack where it's got like, you know, Golang and Ruby and Nginx isn't that? and then on the, the right hand column, it's like, you know, beam for all the things. Uh, I, that's that's definitely true. And to, to Lars's point, um, I, I was playing around with like a toy project and I, I think I, I, I rented out like a $40 DigitalOcean droplet. And, uh, you know, built and deployed a full app, you know, actually hit the database and stuff like that. And then I put some stress tests together with, uh, with K6, which is a really nice stress testing tool. But uh, that aside, um, yeah, I mean, I, I was getting like, 
you know, 300 requests a second out of this $40 box. And, uh, you know, they were doing, you know, hitting, the, it was hitting the front end, it was hitting the database, it was actually, you know, doing full, uh, you know, app uh, behaviors and stuff like that. But like for, for a startup, if you're getting 300 requests a second, like that's pretty solid product market fit. And that's a, that's a, you know, that's a good way to validate that you have a, uh, a product that's worth pursuing. And you could always take the, the vertical scaling route and pay for the you know, $1,000 instance while you sort out how to make this a distributed app. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's these kinds of things where you can get up and running really quickly and it's, it's, it's performant. I mean, it's not, it's, uh, you know, it's a higher level language, right? It's not like C or C++, but uh, the fact that you can build these apps in no time flat and they're scalable is just such a win. I actually going to diverge from, from product. I was going to talk about to just ask if any of you have seen or heard anything about this because I was looking at the live book page today for the getting live book and they have a small link there about a survey because they're working on live book pro and what would people like to see in Livebook Pro, is there being a product built around Livebook? It would make so much sense why they are investing so, so much work and polishing Livebook so, so well if there's also a product in the making. I thought that was interesting and I saw it today. I saw that as well the other day. Um, but I, I have, I'm very intrigued. I have no insight into it. So it's all just, Same. we're all just going to speculate here. Anyone, if anyone listening has the inside scoop, feel free to DM us. For example, you'll say, like, <laughs> yeah, well, you're welcome to come on and talk about secrets, your product so dreams. Exactly. I think he might know. <laughs> he might know, yeah. No, but I, I did have some products that are actually existing right now uh, that I'd like to touch on. So I'm a sucker for, for small companies doing small products and like sort of the indie hacker path, even though I'm, I'm maybe a little bit more of an organic growth kind of person than, than some of the indie hackers. But one that's one product that I think is more famous outside of Elixir is uh, Savvy Cal by Derek Reimer, who's one of the hosts of the Art of Product podcast. So he at least once a week or so talks about uh, building SaaS products. So, and Savical is a competitor to Calendly, which is this tool for figuring out availabilities and scheduling meetings and trying to make it as friendly as possible because it, it's always a bit awkward if you just tell someone, oh, I just schedule with my link here. Eh. So, that's an interesting product. Uh, I've used Calendly, so I know the product, sort of the category of products is definitely useful for certain types of work. Uh, and I've, I've considered switching over just because I, I like a small company that I can follow. And if it runs, I happen to know he develops it in Elixir and Phoenix. I do believe he's using React in front, which is, I mean, uh, I think it might predate LiveView a little bit. But mostly, I think he already knew React. <laughs> but then again, it's perfectly fine to use something else. Like Phoenix doesn't live and die with LiveView. It's just another great option. So that I think that's an interesting product. 
Yeah, and I could I could definitely vouch for Savvy Cal. I actually have a subscription to Savvy Cal, and it's ridiculously easy to use. Uh, I, I definitely love how uh, Derek focused on the user experience and making it so easy for uh, for you as a user of, of the service to get set up and, and get going. Uh, but yeah, I mean, similar thing to Pausable. Anytime I'm needed the app or, or used it, it's you know, high uptime. So I'm, I'm, I'm attributing all of that to Elixir. I wonder if there's a, a list somewhere of like, not just like built with Elixir, but like if you need, you know, the Calendly type of app, here's one built in Elixir. You know, I got to grow, this, grow uh, this community. There's a Elixir Companies, I think it's called. And it just has like mm. a giant list of all the companies that, nice. that we know of using uh, Elixir. I also have, I have a few other companies that are very early. So there's Oscar Wikström, which has, uh, a he's built a browser testing tool that I believe is open source, uh, or it might just be, uh, it might be a closed source uh, piece of binary, but I think it's it's free to use, which is called the Quickström, which is, uh, I think it's a pun on his surname and uh, QuickCheck. So he's a Haskell oriented developer and lots of sort of formal testing and formal methods uh, interest. So it's a property-based testing thing for running uh, integration tests with the browser. So you specify rules about your application and it will check that they conform. And he's also built a SaaS to try to turn this into a product. And uh, I had the pleasure of helping him get started with LiveView and he's built out the product in LiveView. So I think there's there's something to be said for Elixir maybe providing the best option for for building a functional programming based web system. Otherwise, he would have chosen Haskell. I'm pretty sure he prefers Haskell. And then no one's no one's perfect. Yeah. And then there's um, someone who I'll probably invite once he launches his product to the public, which is a buddy of me and Alex, Marcel Fale, who is building bold which is a video cms uh, with the fantastic domain of wearebold.af that alone gets a lot of points yeah so i think he's targeting a few different things with that but it's it's built in uh, elixir phoenix live view and one of the things he's definitely going to be offering seems like is uh, Zoom meetings, when you've recorded them, they end up in sort of the Zoom archive, but he can have them shipped to that video CMS, provide a nice, a nicer archive for all the meetings that you didn't attend and need to catch up on and any sort of reference you need. Uh, but also if you're doing high quality video, he, he integrates with Mux, I think, for a ton of transcoding. And if you want to get fancy with video, it also has that. So it's, it's a product being worked on with Flixer, Phoenix, and LiveView. Uh, so now I'm putting a little bit of pressure on him to ship it. Yeah, I love that. There's like a, there are products that are being built in Elixir for the sake of being built in Elixir now, which is awesome. Like one thing that I would always run into when trying to pitch using Elixir is like, well, why specifically do you want Elixir? Because like, it's nice. Phoenix is great. Live is amazing. Like it's enjoyable. What more do you need than that? It's like, no, we need to know why specifically Elixir. 
It was like, it's, it's a great language. It's really robust. It sits on a very stable platform. Like what more do you need than that? Oh, it's not a distributed app. You don't need it. Like even, even if you do none of the other stuff, you would just use like bare Elixir to replicate a rails application. I think it's still really, really powerful and worth, worth looking at. And I'm sure most of the audience does as well, because what are you doing? You listen to the beam radio. Well, I think there's really a case to be made there. And I think that that's why people struggle around the topic of adoption a little bit. Folks feel like in order for me to make a case to my organization to adopt Elixir, it's, I have to be solving like a really gnarly problem that needs all the distribution and all the concurrency and all the fault tolerance. But the developer experience, like you just said, is so wonderful. And that is a really big deal. I think it ought to be a really big deal for most companies, especially bigger companies, when you have people that are working quickly, that are happy with what they do, that find testing easy, that find telemetry and observability easy. Um, you know, all of these things, frankly, add up to like money in the bank, if you want to be perfectly honest. So I think that I want to sort of push a little bit on what we often get, which is like, well, I don't need Elixir because I'm not trying to solve these really hard problems that Elixir is specifically designed for. Yeah, I don't need like reliability. I don't need yeah, right? exactly. consistently low latency. I don't need concurrency. Yeah, I, I don't that. need good hardware utilization. I prefer waste and poor performance. <laughs> I like my apps being down. And you get this stuff for free. I mean, it's like, again, what do you, when was the last time you had to tune the beam? Right. I mean, unless you have like a very particular use case where, you know, you're going to be putting a bunch of stuff in memory and you've got to like, you know, you're doing something out of the ordinary, the beam is going to work out of the box incredibly well. Right. And then even if you do need that, then you can also tune the beam. I know this is becoming a beam love fest, you know, but again, everyone knows. What like this every before. episode. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So uh, I, I did notice a tweet go out. Uh, saying that Apple is looking for Elixir developers. Did you guys see this? Exactly. I, did. I think we and like a thousand other people on Twitter <laughs> or, and liked it. So I, I DM the, uh, the person who tweeted it and I was like, you probably got just rants inundated with like messages. And he's like, I was not expecting that. So there's interest, which is also a good sign. Um, but yeah, Apple is, uh, is looking to do some, uh, some stuff for, some stuff in Elixir. It's in the systems and tools team for environment and supply chain innovation. That's pretty awesome. If I recall correctly, it was for, so internal tools and it was, it was it live view? Like they're building some internal uh, dashboards and, and tools for like other teams using live view or am I making that part up? Maybe I saw it in like a, a Twitter comment. I don't remember. Maybe like wishful thinking, you know, wishful thinking. Maybe, 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 yeah, maybe, maybe my mind is, the limit, uh, you know? is filling in the gaps. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I would be absolutely fascinated to hear if this could ever become public knowledge or a little bit about what that adoption journey was like. Um, and it sounds like they're looking for a contractor from that tweet. So maybe, you know, and it's a little bit of an internal tool situation. So that seems like a pretty normal way that a company of that size might adopt a new language, you know, something small, internal facing, but uh, yeah, I, 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 I can't spread a bit of a insight. Yeah, go ahead. Ooh. So Brian Cardarella posted too. about this tweet and I've, he's written before about how one of his goals for Dockyard was that Apple would hire them at some point, essentially. Mm -hmm. I believe that was part of his sort of uh, goodbye CEO. Uh, he stepped down as CEO like a year or two back, uh, has since returned as head of 
R&D, I believe. And he wrote in this tweet, Dockyard has been helping Apple build Elixir projects for nearly two years now. And I'm happy to see more trust and investment in Elixir is happening there in relation to this. Mm-hmm. So, so it's not new at Apple to do Elixir. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this particular but I think thing, it is new yeah. that they're being public about it. Yeah, I don't believe that's been that public, at least, or not not hiring in Elixir, necessarily. Mm-hmm. And this, so contract to hire, and we're working on an API that will be used towards our goal of becoming carbon neutral by 2030. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> APIs for carbon neutrality. I mean, it's a large company. It, there's a lot going on in there. Yeah. But it's cool to see, uh, for sure. For sure. And I think sometimes a... need help with their web services. I don't. I don't love Apple's web services typically. So <laughs> good on them for trying some things. And I think this is a good indicator for like people who are thinking about getting into Elixir. Or you know, I, I have okay. seen the you know the complaint that people are like eh, I'm a little concerned about the you know the Elixir job market stuff like that. Like if uh, if anyone's ever read the book uh, Crossing the Chasm, like we're starting to see bigger and bigger companies adopting and using Elixir now and being public about it, right? It's not like the old days. I think uh, Joe Armstrong had that quote where uh, he's like, "Yeah, just tell them to use Java, and really use Erlang, and that's like a competitive advantage." Like people are being public about using the Beam and 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 uh, talking about the amazing benefits of of the runtime and the languages that are on the Beam. So if you're like if you're concerned about the you know the the job market or finding a job, uh, or even you know finding engineers, right? Because uh, apparently that guy got bombarded with uh, um, uh, with requests for interviews. So I, I think there there are a lot of people that are on both sides. People that want to do Elixir professionally, and I think there's quite a few companies out there that are uh, basing their products on Elixir. So I think I think that's all fud. Yeah, I think that's what's really exciting about this tweet. Um is to see that growth and that adoption. Cause I know that that's one of the big concerns of the Elixir community right now is hiring, right? Can we get enough people that want to learn or that have these skills? And it's sort of this chicken and egg situation. Well, if there aren't enough jobs, people won't learn the skills, but if there aren't people that have those skills, then we won't pick this language. So there won't be those jobs. But uh, I think that something like Apple publicly saying, even in this really small way, that they're using Elixir and that they're looking for an Elixir developer, I think that that's going to actually have a really outsized impact. Yeah, and as for developers, like everyone's hiring right now. Everyone. Mm-hmm. I see Dockyard trying to hire overseas. That's definitely a signal of something uh, because I think they've typically mostly hired in the US. I, I haven't checked that, but typically I think they've been mostly based in the US, but I saw I saw postings for remote hires and like latest Elixir radar. Everyone's hiring. Uh, it's an exciting time to be an Elixir developer. I I have clients banging on my door, and I'm at, at the point of turning people away. So, it's, it's an actual problem for for my plans. Oh no, it's a shame. Good problem to have, but still. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's exciting. It's really exciting to hear. Um. Yeah, Sophie, you got any projects that you're uh, you're excited about? Yeah, so I don't think this will be news to any of you guys because we actually had uh, a conversation about a little bit about this company when we had Jeffrey Matias and Andrea Lee party on a couple, I don't know, weeks or months ago. What is time? But at Community, which is like a 
SMS text-based platform. They're doing, I think, some really interesting stuff with event sourcing and async messaging backed by Elixir and RapidMQ. So it's not so much like anything new that we haven't talked about before, but I do want to add this blog post to the show notes that came out from their uh, VP of architecture, because I think it's just kind of like the most comprehensive story, narrative story that I've ever seen put together about how they decided to build this system, how they started architecting it, where it's going and how they've answered so many of the concerns and the challenges and the obstacles that really come out when you're trying to do event sourcing. It's not super, this post is not super Elixir focused per se, but uh, it's definitely a really great read. And you know how I feel about Elixir and RabbitMQ and eventing in general. Yeah, I'd be curious to see if RabbitMQ streams the thing they added that was sort of a competitor to Kafka seems like Mm -hmm. slightly more slightly simpler hopefully uh, version of kafka i think that has started to see uptake in in elixir so i'm not sure was was the first i think the first official client was java Uh, but i think there's now an erlang client that's officially supported by the rabbit team Mm -hmm. if i recall correctly so we might be seeing more of that question mark yeah, that's definitely something to keep an ear out for. I haven't heard, um, I haven't seen an Elixir client. I haven't heard any chatter about folks working with RabbitMQ streams, even in Erlang. Um, I was going through the CodeBeam upcoming conference submissions and nothing on that topic. So I would love to hear from anybody that's using it or playing around with it. Or should that be something that happens for any of our listeners here? And I think there would be some decent interest amongst the community and learning from you. Awesome. Thanks for that. Alex, how about you? Do you got anything exciting? Any cool projects you're, you think uniquely use the bean? Uh, I'm going to shamelessly self-promote here and, uh, and talk about Promex, which is never heard, uh, n- never heard of it. Yeah. It's a <laughs> dark horse in the, uh, in the Elixir world. Um, no, but uh, jokes aside, it, uh, it's gaining in popularity, which kind of signals to me that, uh, you know, people like the, uh, uh, you know, kind of the, the the thesis of the of the project, which was collecting metrics and publishing dashboards, uh, is a pain. Sometimes they get out of sync. Managing Grafana and uh, your app separately is also a pain. So I kind of bundled all that together in uh, in the Promix library. And so Promix, uh, you just you know you, you create your uh, uh, your Promix module, you add it to your um, your supervision tree, you specify what plugins you want, and you know. Each plugin is like one line that you add to your Promix module, and you can get the like high-level app metrics, like you know what version am I on? What's the Git shot from the last commit? What are the versions of everything? You can get B metrics, uh, you know garbage collection, ETS tables, uh, you know memory usage. You can get Phoenix uh, metrics, Live View metrics, Open metrics. Uh, I don't even remember. I think there's like eight, eight or nine plugins that we've uh, currently put together. Me, we being me and everyone contributing to the project, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I don't think that would be possible in another ecosystem because, uh, you know, fundamentally it relies on telemetry and all these libraries exposing metrics in a way that's easily consumable, right? So if every library had a different way of doing it, a, a, a project like Promex, um, if not, if, if it wouldn't be possible, it'd be very, very hard to do it. Uh, so I think, you know, Promix really, really leans on that, uh, 
you know, the, the common interface across uh, all these libraries and, and, and how they work. So I, uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a great project, but I might be biased. And, uh, you know, like, like Livebook, maybe later this year, there will be a Promex Pro, maybe. You heard it here first, folks. Have you added a survey to the website? It's yeah, step one is a survey for a sure. Survey. Oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta step it up then. This is, <laughs> this is rookie stuff. Uh, I do not have a survey, uh, but I probably should get one. I don't even have a website to be honest. I just have the GitHub page, which I must say again, you know, I might be a little biased. I think that the README on Promex is probably the most beautiful Readmes I've ever seen probably because I spent like three weeks on it and uh, I even made it responsive and it works in xdocs with some fancy like readme rewriting so if you ever need to see how to make something look good in github readme and in xdocs you can definitely take a look at the code in uh, in promex that was the the unexpected gem how to hack readmes and I also noticed that oh, there yeah. are a couple of placeholders for gold sponsors and silver sponsors so if you're out there and you're using promex you know that would be very much appreciated, yes, because then I can spend more time on Promex and less time consulting. And that's probably what we all want, except those of us who are employees, I guess, because I don't know what that's about. All right, I think on that note, we are ready to wrap up. A big thank you to Stephen for introducing us to today's topic and for bringing up some really cool companies and things for us to chat about. A thank you to Lars and Alex for joining in on the conversation. We'll also give a shout out to our sponsor, Broxio, Career Fuel for Programmers. And we'll see you guys next time. Thanks, everybody. I did pick up that uh, Crossing the Chasm book. I haven't read it yet, but I, I think you're right. I think that there's like, there's a moment. Something, something, I feel like something has changed where enough small companies have used it, enough people have done toy projects in the like, it's harmless. Let's just try it out, and are realizing that it's really, really good. So, oh yeah, you know. no, I, I think, and I think Bruce also kind of corroborates this, where he's getting a lot of bigger and more enterprisey clients. Yeah. That also signals to me that you know, I don't think people yeah, consider this retraining a toy their, anymore. They're retraining their Java engineers into Elixir. Yeah, it's yeah. it's not a toy anymore. It's this is serious. That's awesome. <laughs>